0: As, as Bill would say, stay in church. What, what would Jarvis do? <laughs> Jarvis said. And sure enough, you know,
1: there's this lady in there and she yells, you know, you're going to get shot. And they threatened that, that we were going to get shot if we continued on the path we were going. And Jarvis is the guy that I used to hunt oak with. He knows. I was like, all right. <laughs> Jarvis says, I'm going to make a bumper sticker
0: and chasing some pigs or, you know, having some fun shoot, down there. liberals
1: which or are, pigs. Yeah. Just kidding. <laughs> There's plenty of uh, Either pigs. one. <laughs> yeah. We could probably get
0: away with either one down there. But just don't tell them you're going to shoot them because Under if you a 10-round mag only. Hey, listeners, subscribers, and fellow outdoorsmen and women. This is your host, Lucas Paw, and I'm excited to tell you about some of the sponsors that continue to help make this podcast not only happen, but grow and thrive in this digital world of audio content. This podcast is brought to you by Ripcord Arrow Rest, the bow hunter's number one follow rest on the market. Ripcord is known for 100% full-time arrow containment in their patented. All right, welcome, folks, to the RNA Outdoors Podcast. I am your host, Lucas Paw, coming to you on location here in Colorado. We've been chasing elk. Well, I I would say we've been hunting elk. I wouldn't necessarily say chasing elk, but we've definitely had a week's worth of of interesting stories and adventures based on um, the last seven to eight days that we've been trying to harvest an elk here on the western slope uh, in Colorado. So just a kind of quick overview, uh, got here last Friday and, uh, set up a camp and did some scouting and, uh, to our, I guess, demise, if you will, have, have been unsuccessful at this point point in harvesting an elk, which a lot of it's you know, could be based on weather. Some of it could be based on pressure from other hunters, but, um, at the end of the day, um, you know, there just hasn't been a lot of elk that we've seen, uh, during our course of our, um, last seven, eight days chasing elk, but, Before I go into that any farther, I want to introduce my guest on the show today, who uh, is a good friend, uh, who is someone that uh, I met, I would say, probably maybe 10 years ago, eight to 10 years ago.
1: Something like that. It's been a while. Um,
0: Which I think the last time I came hunting in Colorado, rifle hunting, uh, was in 2000. I think it was 2009 or 2010. So it's been almost eight years since I've been here. And uh, Cyrus, both Cyrus and his dad, uh, Billy, have taken us in and have always been, um, you know, very helpful. When we've, um, when my um, one of the guys on our podcast in the past, John, who who's come with us, or, or has come with me in the past here to Colorado, um, have always been very hospitable and just really enjoyed my visit, staying here uh, in uh, just outside of Montrose, Colorado, and uh, getting to hang out with Cyrus. And <laughs> I'm not sure he exactly. Wanted to do the same style of hunting that I did, but we did uh, endure a little bit of pain together on the mountain, which was good. But anyway, I'd like to welcome Cyrus Goodhart to the RNA Outdoors podcast. Welcome, Cyrus. How you doing? Doing pretty good. So, uh, music songwriter turned elk hunter in the last week, huh?
1: Oh, I've always hunted, but been pretty spoiled the past few years. The place we've got, you know, you can oftentimes shoot them out the window, so. Yeah. The you know nine mile hikes with fifty pounds in your back just to get to nowhere is not a new experience, but I haven't done it probably since my dad used to force me to go when I was like five or six. You know. Yeah,
0: but it's awesome. It's it's a great experience either way. Yeah, we uh so just to kind of backtrack a little bit, I've been had been talking with Cyrus uh, over the last month or so and trying to set up. Just a, you know an idea of when we were going to get here and what we were going to do, and, and Cyrus has been very hospitable and, and uh, been awesome during this stay, and surprisingly, took off a little bit of time of work to go chase elk around the country with me uh, in the last, like I say, the last week, and uh, it's been a little underwhelming, but at the same time, it's been really fun and it's been a good adventure. We've seen a lot of country that I know I haven't seen, some country that you, know, you lived here for a large part of your life and you haven't seen either, so... There's definitely some merit in in just getting out in the woods and seeing country that most people in their life will never see. It was an eight-day scouting trip for next year (laughs) is what
1: it turned into. (laughs)
0: Yeah.
1: But, yeah, covered some great country for sure. Got to see a lot of new parts that I haven't, you know, as a a grown man have been to. You know, I followed my dad around for years hunting, and now we're kind of getting into some of that country as well and kind of learning it on our own. So it's pretty cool, you know, got to see some great, animals and places that we could not get them, get out of at. so yeah
0: yeah just to kind of recap so like i said i showed up last friday and uh we went and set up a camp in an area that um in the past we've been successful in an area that i know you have a lot of history in and your dad does and, and a mutual friend of ours who's no longer with us anymore but a guy that we salute to and we think about a lot um sean walsh mr cowboy and uh, that's actually one of the memories, fond memories I have of this area was was him showing up and helping us pack out a bull I'd shot many years ago. But, we um, you know, we'd set up camp and it was kind of interesting because the area that you and I wanted to kind of get to, there was already a, uh, a camp set up there, which was a little underwhelming, but we ended up finding a, a pretty good place to camp out and we stayed there for about almost two and a half, two I think two days, two and a half days, and we glassed this area, I mean, I would say we spent on average probably five to six hours behind binoculars for those days, and we didn't see a single elk.
1: Yeah, there was, you know, that's that's a great spot historically for us both. Um, I've never been in there and not seen one, and the weather was warm this year, and, you know, there was a lot of cattle in there that they hadn't brought out yet, and they'd done that fire, last, that burn last year, and I don't know, it was just a little different there was more pressure than i'd seen in there before and of course with those guys just running atvs in and out early in the morning and late at night and all the times that you didn't want them in there and yeah so that was pretty tough i mean beautiful country
0: saw some mule deer but yeah the elk were the elk were not in there this time which was rare it was it was a little disheartening the fact that you know we would be set up we'd be there right at first light and you'd see the lights of an atv driving through the trails and then you'd see multiple ATVs, you know, coming across the ridge line and down. And it's just, I mean, it's public land hunting and that's what we deal with, you know, being in Colorado and a lot of other States deal with that too. But it's just like from an ethical standpoint, it's like, you know, people don't realize, um, how, you know, disruptive that can be driving an ATV or Ranger through prime elk country, you know, during that time of morning. So that was pretty disheartening to find that.
1: Yeah. That's, that's frustrating. I mean, you know, like we had talked about, I think it's, you know, if you get something down and that's what you've got to get it out with, that's cool. But yeah, when they're running through there at the in the prime hours of the light and the darkness, you know, in the evening, in the morning, where the time when the elk are moving and you've got guys raging through on, on big ATVs, you know, it really spooks any animals that might be in there and really takes down your chances of glassing something and getting a shot. So yeah.
0: The first night we camped out, um, we actually got some rain and a little bit of weather, which which we thought would be, you know, something, you know, would be a good thing to have a little weather up on that ridge. Hopefully actually thinking that a little snow might drop, which might push some of the elk down into that area that we were into. But again, spent multiple days in there, um, spent a lot of time behind optics and just couldn't turn up any elk. So we decided to to kind of bag that camp location uh, and base out of your place here and just kind of be a little more remote where we ended up heading a little farther south um, into the Telluride area, which you're pretty familiar with because you do a lot of work down there. But we actually got into our first elk sighting um, that night when we went over Lost Dollar Road and we were coming over in the private properties and there was what probably I would say 75 to 100 elk that crossed the road right in front of us that all we could do was look at them, unfortunately. Yeah, it's it's always... It's always exciting when you see a bunch of ones you wish you could shoot and can't. Yeah, exactly. There was probably four or five legal bulls in that group. There was another one that we couldn't see that was bugling. So a little unfortunate, but again, it was nice to actually get into an area where we could actually see some elk where we had spent the last couple days not seeing any elk at all. So spent some time down there and um, again, putting a lot of time behind glass. And what was interesting on a couple of these areas was, is, you know, when you get up to places around like Telluride, you're anywhere from 10 to 11,000 feet. And uh, we had we had pulled into this area that we had hunted in the past and, and didn't have success, but had seen elk in this area. And uh, right at first light, you're looking up on this ridge and you see this just little orange speck walking across the face of this ridge. And uh, it was just incredible that every time that we went somewhere around almost every crevice that we looked at, every place we went, There was Hunter Orange. Yeah, man. Public public land is
1: you know, I think what's made it harder is the apps and the and the maps and the Google Earths and things like that that anybody can you know, spots that old timers knew about that no one ever knew about. Now all you gotta do is punch in an area and you can see it. And it on one hand it's super helpful to the average hunter. But when you're hunting public land hunts, it's it can make it really frustrating because there's nowhere you can go where someone hasn't been or isn't going to be. And sure it's, it's been tough. I mean, private land has definitely been our best luck seeing animals this year, but still hasn't turned
0: it out for us. So yeah, yeah, it's tough. Yeah. We had, uh, we had spent a little time and we use some of the, you know, the, the services like Onyx maps and some of the other ones that are really, really good, um, you know, resources for, for trying to find public lands or forest service lands. But We had found a section of state land that we thought, you know, had accessibility because we had actually for at once glassed up some elk and saw some bulls in there and actually kind of get excited. um, Come to find out that it was a landlocked piece of section that basically the property owner had the lease rights to it. And unfortunately, we couldn't get in on that on that piece of land. But that would have been an excellent place to, to go. And, you know, like you say, with some of these applications, they help find locations like that that most people probably had no idea that that area was actually state of, you know, Colorado land.
1: Yeah, there's, and you know, we did that. We kind of discovered through talking to the wardens and, and other people and doing some research that there's pieces of land that back in the day when Colorado became a state and, and you know, it might've been an area that wasn't homesteaded, but didn't belong to anybody. It went to the state. So this is a 650 acre tract of land that only the people that live up against can utilize. And typically one of them has the lease on it. And uh, they don't let people in, which if it was mine, I probably wouldn't either. But glass and elk, you know, seeing the first legal elk we saw that we could shoot and get into that gate and realizing that no, it wasn't going to happen. That was definitely a bummer. But
0: yeah, that was a letdown part of it. We also had a little bit interesting experience as we were driving the road, we had identified. appeared to be hunter orange person kneeling on a piece of private property and i drove by and I, i think i saw it and you saw it too and you're like no that's just a guy that like laid his vest down there but we spun around and drove back to try to find that road to get on that piece of state property and there was a guy there kneeling down over like
1: a gut bag or something too there was there had been a kill there so it was a pretty it was pretty odd it was like he was didn't realize he was in hunter orange and Probably didn't want to be
0: seen, and as he was sitting right on the road, kneeling down, it was it was (laughs) odd. That was an interesting. And then a truck
1: passed while we we were coming up, and we saw headlights again in the same area. And when we got
0: back there, guy was gone. Guy was gone. So so who knows knows what's going on there? I'm sure a lot of stuff like that goes on, and most people don't know about it. But we found another interesting spot in there that was um, Forest Service land that was actually bordered on three sides um, with private property, and. We had spent some time and gone in there, and uh, saw a lot of sign, saw a lot of areas what would look like probably more of a primo type archery hunting um, scenario with a lot of rubs and a lot of good sanctuary for elk, you know, during the day. But um, again, we get to a point and we think we found a place that's just money, and we end up finding a camp with what five tents and then yeah, three hunters yeah. on the ridge, basically kind of a weird back looking, looking at us.
1: gypsy looking camp out in the middle of the forest. At- Neither time we passed where there were there people in it, but lots of tracks and and yeah, we hiked, you know, a couple miles in through Timberfall and mm-hmm. we had to skirt, you know, they had a there was a path that went through the private that um that those guys were taking and I'm you know, we're just not comfortable taking private, you know, you don't trespass. That's kind of a key thing yeah. in the West and and so we cut all the way around through all this deadfall and find this beautiful spot and you know get out and start to glass and sure enough there's one guy sitting on the opposite hill and then we see two more guys in the trees and you know it's it was we had a we saw a lot of hunters on our elk scouting
0: trip. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think there was anywhere we went that we didn't see somebody. I mean even coming back to some of the forest here, you know, we yeah. had, we had gotten into some areas that we thought were gonna hold some elk we heard some bugles and then sure enough we look up and you literally see just bright orange and it's just tough man it's like a i don't know it's a
1: public land hunting is a gamble i mean my neighbor you know he has the catalyst on the country behind us and you know he's like man it don't matter what you take if you take a bull elk on public land you've done quite a feat because Mm -hmm. it's you know you've got how many guys i mean hundreds of guys in in certain square miles that are all trying for the same thing you're trying for and so it's you know, it can you can get lucky, but that's unless you know something that someone else doesn't. You know, it's kind of luck of the draw. If there's enough guys in there and you know the right spot to sit, they'll push them to you. But yeah, you know, it's when you got six guys in three square miles of land trying to cover it. It's and there's elk in there. It's just a matter of who sees it first because mm-hmm. it's yeah, it's it's it can be a
0: gamble, but it's
1: I mean, it's hunting, you know.
0: Yeah, and this year, you know, the second season. Um, you know, I typically have hunted always the third season because generally there's been weather that's come in and it's kind of pushed elk into certain areas that we've been successful in, but, um, trying the second season, something a little different this year thinking, cause sometimes the second season will bring weather. A lot of times there'll be snow in mid October and then sometimes November, it can be, you know, kind of like an Indian summer where you get these big, warm, you know, these warm days. But this year, um, especially in the second season, we haven't seen probably temperatures, Um, probably average i would say in the 50s and 60s as highs and lows maybe in the 30s so yeah it's been uh you know last year was the
1: direct opposite you know our mutual friend john howe um he came out to hunt with me last year and second season he came out for third second season we had snow there were bulls in here i harvested one right off you know right out the living room window at a beautiful six by six and and john showed up and the weather got weather was warm and the moon was full and we could sit here at the house and watch we had the most we had was 11 bulls and about 22 cows within 50 yards in the dead of night you know the moon was full so you could glass them and watch them fighting and doing you know just doing their social thing and and right right before you could get shooting light they just faded off in the woods. So it's, you know, you never know. I mean, I would always, I would always count on third, but last year, third was tough, but normally it's probably the, you know, I'd give third an 80% chance of good, of good elk weather, which means yeah. to me, snow, you know, sure. Um, seconds, second can be warm and it's
0: always seconds, always a little tougher for sure. Yeah. I think what Colorado posts in their, um, successful, or at least in their, in their, um, information that they get from, from, you know, hunters and their harvest reporting is, is around 10%, I think of elk hunters are successful in, in second season. So, you know, one in every 10 people harvest an elk and nine people go home, you know, that season without harvesting an elk. So not great draw, not great harvest statistics. I'd like to be one of the nine. Exactly. But (laughs) I mean, that's just the way it is. I mean, that's, you know, that's hunting and You know, that's why I think what keeps a lot of people coming back is, you know, they're successful one year and they think that they're going to go to the same spot again and be successful again. And, you know, we're we were a prime example of that, thinking that, you know, our little honey hole that we've been successful in in years past just was not turning up anything this year.
1: Yeah, it's a hard you know, it's a hard thing because you can you know, do you sit at one place for nine days and the probability of seeing something is is fair you know, it's, you're, you're covering, you know, how many acres, maybe a hundred or 300 acres, depending on how well your glassing spot is. And yeah, there's a chance, you know, you could see something, but then do you start moving around and get lucky or, you know, it's, you yeah. just never it's know. It's always a gamble. I right? mean, I like to sit in a spot and glass it, but like we did, we sat for two and a half days and, you know, only saw well we saw five mule deer Mm -hmm. not as not a single elk no lions no No bears bears, nothing else that we were hunting for so yeah that can you know you can only hope for so long before you have to like make a change and try to at least be proactive and we were and we did find elk but you know then well we went up and did that long pack in and yeah another
0: experience that was entertaining <laughs> one that i'll probably never forget so yeah you and i went into one of your dad's favorite glassing spots and um we kind of dropped into an area where we got away from where you know a lot of the traffic was and we we i think you went down maybe 50 to 100 yards below me and you know within a few minutes we had spotted some elk way 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 up high um you know we were already at probably 82 to eighty five hundred feet and these elk were, you know, just below the Cimarron range, which is, you know, anywhere from ten to eleven thousand feet. But we kind of made a game plan to say, you know what, let's throw on a pack and a bivy and and uh, let's spend the night and go up there and try to turn up these elk. So we did. So probably around midday, we go up and we start on the trail. Around I don't know, I'd say I think it was 11, 30, 12 o'clock. And as we're starting to go out onto the trail, these three guys from Ohio were walking out, which was interesting because a look on their face. Kind of told a story to me. It was like ultimate defeat. (laughs) Exactly. Three guys, no packs, rifles on their shoulders walking out, and just did not look like they were having a good time. Yeah, it's not. It wasn't the –
1: I've certainly hiked up worse trails, but it looked like the boys had gone in pretty deep without probably the proper stuff and and walked out defeated and – yeah, it was they didn't they barely even talked to us when they went by. I mean they were like they were tired as to so, already. truck. and we're just we're a mile in looking at them like, oh damn,
0: what'd we get into, you know? <laughs> yeah, so we we were going in and uh I mean it was it was a it was an absolutely beautiful breathtaking um trail. I mean the trail was, was probably two to three people wide, so there was no issues with you know, losing the trail and not knowing where you were going. And uh, you know, we were just kind of basically working our way in, um, taking breaks when we needed them. Um, one break in particular, we stopped because I was getting pretty hot, so I started <laughs> pulling layers off. And all of a sudden, a cow starts um, cow calling. Yeah, I'm sitting there drinking a Gatorade, and Lucas
1: is down to his boxers, changing out his <laughs> his damn uh, long johns, and and we start hearing cow calls, and so I set down my Cliff Bar and my. Coke or whatever I was drinking and pull out my 38 out or my 38 my 308 out of the out of the pack and kneel down behind the tree and he's cow calling and his boxers (laughs) trying and we're talking to it you know and it turned out it must have just been a lone cow or she was you know she she never came in but I was really hoping that that might have been our shot
0: yeah so yeah we continued up and uh long story short the 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 trail ended up being, I think we did 13 miles that first day. Um, as we as we were ascending up, I mean it was a continual grind all the way up. I mean it was there were parts that flattened out, but generally for the most part it was a it was a straight, solid, gradual incline all the way in. We saw a nice mule deer going in. We saw a nice buck going in, but um, was a little disappointed in the fact that um, didn't see a whole lot of elk sign when we went in on the trail. Um, Definitely saw some great elk habitat. I mean, areas that were nice little parks with aspens uh, and, you know, little ponds. I mean, areas that you would think would just be awesome places that would hold elk. But the whole area that we went in basically bordered uh, private property, uh, which for the most part, uh, you know, the private property areas seems to be where a lot of the elk hang out. But um, so we got up to a location that we thought we were, you know, we're going to sit. So we ended up setting up our little spike camp that we had. Um, which was actually not a bad little area thinking that, you know, we're back in here, you know, 8 to 10 miles. There's not going to be anybody back in the forest up here. Yeah, right? we,
1: got, we were in there deep, you know, set up in the black timber, kind of just, I don't know, maybe 20, 30 yards off that first park downwind and, you know, set up camp. By that we mean we laid sleeping bags in the sticks <laughs> and dropped off anything we didn't have to carry. And yeah. and then we proceeded to start to skirt the parks.
0: Yeah. And, uh, so we were just kind of taking our time because we had identified these, there was, there was three or four different parks that sat basically right below this rock outcropping that looked like it was just going to hold elk. I mean, like no question that this was going to have elk in it. So immediately we start walking through the skirt of this park and we're seeing, um, you know, we're seeing all different types of carcasses. We saw one carcass. that probably would have been within the last, I would say two to three weeks, probably the first season or maybe a late archery season or a muzzle loader. Um, saw the remains of lots of different, um, you know, animals, um, you know, both elk and just a lot of different bones that were spread out. So we're thinking, okay, we're probably in a pretty good area. So we skirt the first park and you look back up because when you look up back underneath the outcropping, there was a kind of nice little parks that went up against the actual rocks. And I see this bright orange sitting there right yeah, on a tree. Just
1: bright orange vest just hanging on a stump. So we're with all our hope we could muster we're thinking man maybe they just maybe somebody just left it here and forgot it yeah
0: there's nobody there so we walked
1: on a little farther and turned back and sure enough there was a hunter who was it was kind of a blind they had set up there that you know we saw him he he had taken his vest off and thrown it over the tree and so you know that many miles in first park have feeling great and then boom dude
0: set up right in the middle of it so that was pretty disheartening, again, disappointing, frustrating. I mean, there's probably a lot more emotions. I think there was a few other um, explanatory words that we probably used by the time we had got in there. Because again, we had done about a five, five and a half hour pack in. We had anywhere from 50 to 60 pounds of gear on our back. Uh, and we were, you know, we were pretty whooped by the time we got in there, but we were excited to get there because we thought it was going to be a really good elk area. So we see him, we're bummed. We're like, okay, let's just keep moving down the meadow. Because, again, there was a whole string of these meadows that, um, again, just looked like they held elk. So we were skirting the second meadow. Um, <laughs> and you were probably, I would say, roughly maybe, I don't know, 20 to 30 yards behind me. And we were just kind of, you know, skirting through um, the pine trees, just trying to get a little vantage point. And all of a sudden, um, out of the middle of nowhere, I hear this, don't step out. If you do, you'll get shot.
1: Yeah, that was a... Uh... Well, it's, I'm still a little pissed <laughs> off about it. But, yeah, you know, when you're – yeah, this woman had had been set up there. Lucas had seen her, but I hadn't, and we were far enough apart, you know, and, and try not to be loud and, and just skirting the parks. And, you know, when we saw the first guy, we cut back into the woods. You know, I have a big – I don't like to mess with other hunters' areas, so we cut in the woods and tried to go around. And, and sure enough, you know, there's this lady in there, and she yells, you know, you're going to get shot and – and that just, yeah, that's, you know, there's an etiquette to alerting a person that you are in an area that they are in and you're there before them. And, you know, I think any any proper hunter would certainly, well, one, you alert them in some way, but, uh, and then, you know, if I, I always like, if I see someone else, I turn around, I go the other way, or I, I cut around and, and, you know, but I've never been...
0: Well, just out of respect to do that, yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: because you know, I don't. None of us. We all want the same thing. We all want to harvest an elk, and so, you know, you want to go the other way and be be polite. And, and you know, this, we were so far out in the middle of nowhere. There's, you know, in a normal situation, I'm not a huge fan of calling law enforcement, but that w- that would be something that I would probably say, hey, there's this person. You know, maybe they didn't mean to say what they said, but they threatened. That, that we were going to get shot if we continued on the path we were going and and also they were set up you know the pathway went through those parks the the Forest service trail went right through the middle of those parks and we were staying off of that just you know just for our own benefit but yeah that was uh it really pissed
0: me off it Lucas w- took it a little better than I did but <laughs> well, maybe my temper's hotter I think but I, I internalized it a little differently but at the same time I was I was frustrated because one, I've never been threatened like that in the in you know in the woods, and two, you know you have humans out there in the middle of nowhere that all have high power rifles, and you never really know is someone serious about what they're saying, or is the person they're saying it to someone who is you know loony enough that would maybe Shoot do back. something you know, exactly. I mean that's
1: you know there's a hunter etiquette that you learn when you take hunter safety, or if you had someone that trained you coming up, you know you say hunter or you say there's a lot of things you can say but when you start to threaten someone with a firearm that you know that could have turned into a potential situation that someone could have got hurt or killed very easily yeah and uh yeah that's just that's just something you don't do you don't she obviously was uneducated in probably in just general hunting etiquette and firearm etiquette absolutely i mean you don't yeah you just don't say things like that to people with guns no when you've got a gun because it's you know it's it's I don't know you and me growing up you know you learn the respect of a firearm you never point it you never threaten it you never say you have it in a situation (laughs) unless you're willing to use it and so that was uh yeah that really kind of shot our first night because you're one you're skirting this park hoping this person doesn't actually try to smoke you you know and we were
0: so many miles from anywhere, there would have never been a chance, you know. So mm-hmm. it was nerve-wracking, you know. It was. Yeah, and it, I think the other part that we realized was is as we continued to work down those parks, you know, we saw orange flagging that basically marcated, you know, the trail that they yeah. were supposed to take. And then as we got down to the farthest park, um, actually would have been to the, I would say, northwest, um, there was a tarp sitting there. So I think we realized that, you know, they were probably being... Um, you know, outfitted or, or some type of guide service in there that had them set up on those parks. So again, to each is their own. And, you know, from a, from an ethical standpoint, there's, there's definitely different ways to handle that situation. Um, we were no by means in there trying to screw up their hunt by any means, right. I mean, had we done that, we would have walked out in the park in front of them and well, tried and to and screw their Well, and a big part up. of me
1: in a normal situation, I would have done something like that, but you know, you're, I don't know, it's yeah you're so far from anywhere and that's that's not something you want to hear anywhere let alone so far back in the woods that you you know there's just nothing to do about it so yeah we you know we both kept our mouths shut which I know for me is a really hard thing to do I don't know I think it might be not quite as hard for Lucas but it's still pretty hard and (laughs) yeah you know you just had to suck it up and duck into the woods and, and pretend it didn't happen and and you know we found well you had a few other parks on your maps and we ended up you know, busting timber and scouting them. And yeah.
0: So it didn't end up being a a necessarily bad trip by any means, but clearly we were, you know, we were (laughs) deflated based on the fact that we had spent all that time going in there and, uh, you know, to our demise, you literally walk out there and there's two hunters sitting there, which, you know, they obviously accessed it through the private property and they probably had a half a mile hike to get in there, you know, versus us that can't access it through private, had to come all the way around in the forest land on the trail and get in. But yeah. again, it was still, to me, rewarding because, you know, there was a lot of country there that we had identified that was really nice country. And I think definitely holds elk. It's just, you know, if you got an outfitter in there, it's, that's going to be tough to compete with that. There were
1: animals in there for sure. And, you know, yeah, that's the thing we didn't, not that we didn't do enough research, but had we really done a little bit more research, we could have realized, you know, that there were outfitters there and that was probably, maybe there was good elk, but you know, you got guaranteed guys set up. So it's going to yeah. be a tough thing to work around. And yeah. And the next, well, the next morning, I, you know, we, there was no one in those parks and we went out and scouted. And then, um, well you saw Lucas, we finally see elk, you know, legal bulls <laughs> that on legal land, you know, on, on state land that we can shoot. And we're at what? ten five, And they're at eleven at two or something like that. Eleven feet. seven or something.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it was that again, it, Great trip. I mean, that evening, when we got back to camp, um, you know, we were we were basically melting snow for water. I mean, we were doing all the things that you know most people wouldn't know how to survive in, in situations like that. But um, you know, we were we were we had dinner. We had a nice dinner. Um, we were just kind of you know shooting it about what happened that day. Um, it ended up actually not being such a bad evening because um, you know at the end of the day we were. We were still alive. and We yeah. could talk about it. No one took a hollow point to the back of the head.
1: Exactly. But um, yeah, it was a it was an awesome experience for sure. And you know, you gotta. I mean, yeah, you gotta appreciate those kind of s- not that particular situation, but just you know, you're 500 feet under the base of some of the tallest mountains on the Rockies, and and uh, it's pretty breathtaking. You know, yeah, it's it's hard work to get there. When you harvest it's even harder work to get out but there's perhaps a little more reward when you don't for sure when you don't it can be tougher but you know we ran into some guys the next morning after we had spotted those elk up high and we kind of deduced that we didn't have the proper gear means to chase them at that point so we had to go in and you know they said yeah you know they had known that country a little better they knew there were outfitters in there and stuff and that's just something you got to learn sometimes you just got to go in and figure it out
0: and the next year you can plan around it yeah yeah it was interesting because We had hunted that morning and, and again, went into those parks and had identified a group of about 15 elk, looked like a couple good bulls in there, um, but just was out of our effective range at that point and really weren't prepared to spend, you know, probably more than a couple nights in there um, based on the equipment that we had. And uh, we hunted our way down and... These two old boys were coming up the trail and uh, clearly looked like about like what you and I probably look like, but um, would appear to be it taken them, you know, quite less time to get to that point. And we weren't sure if they started maybe the day before and camped part partway and yeah. came in or if they maybe just, you know, humped it that morning. But I tell you, it is. It is definitely the look on everyone's face going through there. I'm sure ours was no different than the guys from Ohio, but um, it is it is an it was just a a gradual grind getting into that area where we got into eventually that evening.
1: Yeah, and it can be. I mean, those kind of hikes. I you know when I was young, that's all my dad did. He we would. I mean, I'm talking when I was probably between five and twelve years old. We just point off in a direction and go, and you just sleep under a tree with a little campfire and he was always pretty successful, you know, and technology and a lot of things have changed the game on that. And now you can sit in glass and, but it's, you know, if you've never done it, it's absolutely an awesome thing to do, especially in this particular section of the Rockies yeah. because it's, it's just a breathtaking place
0: to be. Yeah. And that, and that is one of the beauties of, you know, having some of the technology now, at least not so much technology, but also the optics is you can sit back you know, versus the days of just throwing on your gear, throwing your rifle on your back and going and walking you know five or ten miles and not even knowing where you're going now. you can actually take the time, glass up some animals and try to figure out you know a strategy to get in on those animals. That's, that's, that was the plan we had. You know unfortunately, from the time we got to left the truck to the trail where the actual trail connected to where we wanted to go, um, it was still probably another four to five miles in. And again, there was no guarantees that those elk were on public land. They were on private land. From what it looked like, they were right on the skirt of the public and the private that evening that we had glassed them up. But you just never know. And in one night, those elk could move down, you know, a mile down into the private. And uh, you're totally hosed at that point because <laughs> we don't you know, have access to hunt that property. So, yeah,
1: that it can be tough. And I mean, we we had horses prepared and everything, you know, if we needed to do a major pack out, but you're still talking, you know, if we got lucky and had, if we had gotten in on them at the right time and the outfitters weren't in there, I mean, you're, you're still talking a day to two day pack out with yeah. someone bringing horses up, locating where you're at, you know, doing the whole thing. So it was, you know, we got in there with, we had enough gear for the night we were there and, and another night, but th- as deep as the elk were, we just, it would have been unwise with the way the temperature was dropping to go in farther and, you know, risk something that wasn't worth risking. So,
0: yeah,
1: you know, you see them and they're so close, but, Sometimes you got to just call it so far away, especially when you're sleeping bag, you know, and yeah, when you lose a zipper on your Zip Amazon on your bag. bag. Yeah, that's not a good thing. But yeah, it was, you know, I mean, it's, you know, a lot of, there's, I don't know, the experience is so much different. You can outfit in and pack in and have mules and horses in a big old tent and fire fireplace and, cook. you know, you can all do that. all that. And that's, that's awesome. That's an awesome way to experience it too, but. I mean, it would have been pretty awesome if we had had all that up there because then we could have sustained four or five days up there chasing them, you know, yeah. but but sometimes you just got to throw a pack on and go in by yourself or, you know, with a buddy and, and just see what you get. And yeah. you spot elk and you just, you can't get to them. And this time of the year and those kind of mountains, you know, I mean, you can, you know, a snowstorm can be almost instant death if you're not prepared. So you got to, sometimes you got to call it, which is no fun to anyone that's got any pride when they're hunting or yeah. in general because you you know you're like we could do it we could probably do it and then that yeah re- you probably could hits. but you know <laughs> you get that elk down at dark and don't get to him till three or four in the morning and then what if a snow you know a snowstorm blows and there's a lot that they can there's a lot of danger that comes with hiking in the rockies in the in this time of the year and so you just it sucks but sometimes yeah. you got to
0: call it yeah so we call that we broke camp that morning like i said we we we, we packed out of there. We ran into those two gentlemen. We talked to them for a little bit and just kind of shared a little bit of the um, you know the, the stuff that we had. Did. We didn't We didn't talk to them about the experience we had with the hunters, but we did tell them you know kind of what we saw and where they were headed. So um, we, we worked our way out. I think it took us about two and a half to three hours to get back to the truck. Um, which I would say was probably very enlightening to see the truck uh, because we knew there was Skaterade and water and food and other things there, which was pretty <laughs> nice uh, when we got back to the truck. Um, and then we headed down into Ridgeway and fueled up and went and grabbed a burger at the... Full Tilt. The Full Tilt. Yeah. It was Full an interesting Tilt Saloon. place. It's
1: a cool joint. If yeah. you're ever in
0: Ridgeway, Colorado, hit it. Yeah, it was good. Um, so then we uh, we basically we came back um, to the home base and, again, just kind of... I think we had exhausted plan a then we exhausted plan b then we were at plan c that was like probably plan d yeah, so we we're then, getting
1: so far down the alphabet i started losing track of letters <laughs>
0: <laughs> but um we've seen just some incredible you know property and areas that are bordered by private that have you know good little pockets of forest service or you know wildlife management areas that definitely hold elk it just you know this time of year without weather we just didn't you know seem to have much luck and really just kind of focused around uh, you know some of the property here around your place and some of the forest service land here and amazingly enough there's bugle and bulls well, in was, this area that was the
1: irony the day we get back from that you know we did 26 miles in, in basically 24 hours and beat up and uh, get back here and and go out here behind our place because we access we're up on the uncompparted plateau and our land borders a large tract of public that's that's surrounded on about three sides by private so it's a pretty good chunk and we go hunt it there's we automatically run another hunters and we get back home and having dinner and and you know look out the window i shine my flashlight out into the big field out in front of the house and there's a big bull just sitting there you know and it's it's 10 o'clock at night well past shooting light and we had done all those miles and and been all over this this half the state and (laughs) you just see a bull that you can't even have that, you know he's 75 yards away from you <laughs> yeah that's i mean it's the beauty of living up here sometimes you get lucky and then sometimes you work your ass off and and they just poke fun
0: at you from the field yeah so. exactly so yeah we spent a couple of days here on the plateau here and uh have just kind of had some interesting experiences i mean everywhere we had gone um and i would say the higher country um the elk have been relatively silent at least the ones that you know we weren't really necessarily close enough to a lot of the elk to know whether they were bugling or the cows were calling. But, you know, here on the plateau, I mean, clearly um, yesterday uh, and this morning uh, and also this evening, we've actually got into some pretty interesting bugle activity and cow calling activity with these elk. Yeah. Well,
1: I've, I've got permission, you know, around this place to hunt all four or five of my neighbors, 40 and 80 acre parcels. So we went down to my um, south neighbor he's got an 80 and one of us sat up in a tree stand one of us sat down kind of by their cabin and and man the elk were just going off that was last night mm-hmm. um just what 5 30 or so they just yeah. started going
0: off which is crazy because you know this time of year the elk you know typically the if the bulls are bugling it's not because they're in breed mode it's just because they're bugling because they're bugling i mean there's really no reason for them to do it but What's nice about it is, is when you got a rifle in your hand, you can locate them uh, and at least it can give you a little bit of advantage to try to, you know, slip in on those elk. But the funny thing was, is, you know, we were trying to talk back to them a little bit, uh, cow calling and just some light, uh, you know, bugle contact action. And they were definitely responding to it, uh, but there was by no means, um, you know, any want to actually come into those calls. It wasn't aggressive for sure. And, you know, we were down and there's
1: a fence line between us and then, a large parcel of private several thousand acres of private and we got him right up to the fence and we couldn't see and we never made contact eye contact but you know they were that bull was right there and you could tell he didn't want to he was nervous about the bugling and things but he didn't want to leave his cows and so you know got so we were within less than 100 yards probably and and just just couldn't couldn't visual visualize them or make the shot. So that's, you know, that's so close yet so far away.
0: Yeah. <laughs> that's a part of it. And that's again, it, when these elk are, you know, basically bordered by, you know, forest service land, you've got hunters staged all the way up, basically. Which the trail. we ran into. Yeah. Multiple. I mean, yep. every 500 yards, you got a hunter somewhere in the woods. And so, yeah, it, it, it's, it's challenging. I mean, there's no doubt that the challenge of over the counter public land force, you know, service hunting in Colorado is anyone can show up, pay the money, buy the tag over the counter and go hunting. And that's, that's the beauty I think of Colorado is that they have that ability to let people come in, you know, and hunt the state. But part of the problem is, and I think part of the reason why the success rates are so low is you have so many people in the field that, um, you know, they're driving quads through roads and they're, they don't understand, you know, scent control and, right. you know, and they're doing wind things is. that are, you know, and wind and other things that are so critical in elk hunting that eventually drive, I would say probably majority of the elk on a private property at that point, because, you know, they they all seem to get, you know, pretty smart when it comes to, you know, the rifle season and the time of year and know exactly what's going on. Yeah. They, they know when they're being bothered. And I think
1: it's, you know, it's twofold because you've got all that. And then it, that kind of directly equates to how much land that you know and and you know we've learned a lot of new land this year and i think the more you learn you can still find places where there aren't a lot of people but you know situations like this where we were just you know just every corner we we just hit a wall and with other hunters or something you know it kind of forces us okay so we found some places this year and and we're gonna expound on those places and try to like learn learn more country around here that because sometimes you're forced i mean sometimes you shoot them right off the deck sometimes you hunt for nine days and can't even pull the trigger you know so it's it's a challenge it's public land hunting in this state and probably most but certainly colorado it's hard you know we're close to town you got three or four hundred guys coming up from from montrose here that are all hunting within the same you know 50 square miles of each other so it's you know you
0: get you get lucky and you don't you know on top of all the out-of-state hunters you know yeah not even counting
1: out-of-staters and we've this is a huge area for the out-of-state hunting too
0: we're running into guys from ohio arkansas kansas i mean places texas everywhere all over and it's a big deal for them to you know come out west and you know they're used to sitting in tree stands hunting whitetails and to come out here in the in the you know the the open pine country of the West and hunt the Rocky Mountains. It's a whole different scenario for them versus what they're used to, and it's interesting talking to some of them. Um, you know, like we ran into those guys from Arkansas with those elk oh, cross yeah. us on the private. And they're like, "Oh, there they are, right there!" It's like, "Well, yeah, there they are." The problem is, is none of us can have. It's them, not so. Arkansas, and we can't shoot them out of the truck. Exactly. But so. yeah,
1: it's yeah, it can you know. Public land hunting isn't glamorous, but man, you know there was the one camp we passed and they had four elk hanging, and mm-hmm. and so that's the thing you gotta you gotta know your country for sure. You gotta know yep. your land, and even though you've got all the apps and all the things, there's still spots where you can you can lock into the right place. I mean, it's it's an awesome place to hunt, but you know every now and then you walk away without anything. Yeah, so.
0: well, and that's part of it. I mean, like you said, nine people go home statistically um you know with a tag in their pocket and you know whether they cook it in a can of soup or however they they serve up tag soup I'm not sure everyone has a little bit different recipe for it but um we still got one more opportunity tomorrow morning um, before I'm going to try to hit the road and get back so it's hard to say you know what that's going to bring you just never know I mean we've been pretty persistent um in the last I would say, well, it's been seven days since season opened, so um, yeah. we've definitely been after it, trying to to knock an elk down, and uh, you know, haven't been successful. But again, to me, you know, success isn't always um, derived by you know the end result of harvesting an animal. I think a lot of it is is the camaraderie and being able to go out and enjoy public lands that we've been able to do which is something that you know is definitely something that we've probably taken for granted which is something that's you know slowly being taken away from us so yeah for sure i mean it's awesome too
1: we've learned you know you and i just going out hunting this season of we've learned so much new country that i'll certainly take opportunity to scout this year and you know maybe next year it'll turn out for us it's yeah that's you can get, you definitely can get comfortable with your, with your spots. And then when someone learns about your spot, it ain't your spot anymore. So yeah, you got to continue. There's a camp ag- sitting where you wanted to camp. You, and- yeah. You continually got to learn new country as a backup plan. A lot, oftentimes, you know, yeah. and the weather too. I mean, when it's hot in Colorado and a lot of the Western States, the elk are going to be high. They just are. And so, you know, when you're hunting at seven to 9,000, when the elk are at 10 to 12, your chances of seeing them just really minimize. Yeah, it's you know?
0: tough. We got to spend a little time today. We got to see your dad. Got to see old meat cutter Bill. That was yeah. an interesting experience. Always dad, going in.
1: My dad pulled out a list. He told us he had us. He had hunting spots, <laughs> and he pulled out a piece of like yellow eight and a half by eleven. Yeah, just just note paper, <laughs> and it literally said hunting spots in quotations on the top. And he had had hunting places listed on there since I was i'm 35 years old and the first hunt i really remember with my dad i was about five and we hunted out as the gunnison basin i don't remember exactly where we were but that was the second one on the list and i'm like Pop, <laughs> pops this old list you know and and he's got uh, f- shit he probably 28 had, or 29 wasn't it, i mean was it at least he had every line filled from the top to the bottom <laughs> minus about three so whatever a standard sheet of you know long paper is but
0: that was pretty funny
1: that was funny any jarvis said jarvis said he had he had one he had a couple spots apparently he used to hunt with a guy named jarvis i never met the guy it was probably when i was a teenager and wasn't hunting a lot but yeah (laughs) he has he has his quote between areas 65 and 70 good elk spot and then in like Quotations, Jarvis says. I'm like, Dad, who's Jarvis? He's like, Jarvis is the guy that I used hun elk with. He knows. I was like, All right,
0: hey, Jarvis said it. That it's Jarvis all good. says, I'm gonna make a bumper sticker. <laughs> yeah, so it's good to see your pops, and and uh, always good spirited, and again, always you know, good. You know, has good intentions and wants to help us. And I think he's said he's got what a third season cow tag. He's going to be focusing on. So. Yeah, yeah, and that
1: should be a that should be an easy fill, and. Hopefully, yeah you yeah. know he's hunted this land i'm 35 he's probably hunted this land since he was 30 years old himself so we got to get that we weren't close enough to a cop here to get that hunting spots <laughs> list but, <laughs> but sooner or later me it. and
0: jarvis are gonna get together and <laughs> figure it out yeah and then we got to spend a little time with bill the the meat cutter today it was an interesting oh, old experience bill. yeah yeah it was fun well old bill he's a yeah he's a
1: he's an elk hunter from way back and yeah, he's got more stories, and you can shake a stick at for sure. Yeah, some beautiful animals he's harvested. He's a phenomenal butcher and uh, phenomenal fisherman. I mean, yeah, yeah some of the fishies. He's, he's one of my best best old boys I know.
0: Yeah, no, that was neat to go in and look at some of the pictures and hear some of the stories. And it sounds like he's got a pretty good hunt lined up this year. He said he drew like a fourth choice to go shoot a hopefully a big bull on some on some property. Yeah, that he knows, he's so. got some
1: old friends that that have several hundred acres i think out of unit 70 here in colorado and i guess that old boy's been hunting it for 30 40 years so he guarantees 300 to 350s and according to old bill he gets them every time so i guess if i got invited to that party i'd probably go too
0: yeah no absolutely and it's like bill said he doesn't ask to be invited he gets invited and he does a little work on the side so yeah that's what i've noticed with a lot of people around here is from kind of, I would say almost like a bartering standpoint, but you know, if you scratch someone's back, they'll scratch your back. And it seems like that there's a good relationship there with people that allow you, you know, the ability, they're not going to invite you every year, but if you do something nice for them, they say, Hey, come on out and hunt on my property this year.
1: Yeah. There's a lot of good folks around here. I mean, I love, I grew up here and lived away for a long time in Texas and a few other places, but yeah, there's a lot of good old boys and, and, you know, folks that want to help out, but you know, nothing's free. And i mean old bill he he makes fishing rods he's a phenomenal fisherman he he hand makes these beautiful rods we saw some today and so yeah he gave his this guy six rods i think or something for his kids and got invited out to shoot a big old bull and yeah return the favor yeah and that guy's got some good hunting spots and he's gonna get him one and you know old bill's shot he shot some beautiful elk we saw a lot of them today he shot six by sevens and a four by five that must've had whale tails that were 20 inches long. Yeah. I mean, a monster probably re- in regression, but a monster four by five and, but he's never shot a true six by six. He said, so, so he's going to go out on fourth
0: and, and try to get his six by. And yeah, I guarantee he will. I'm sure he will. Yeah. Bezos based on all the deadheads heads and all the, you know, mule deer and elk that are on his property. He's definitely, you know, a pretty successful hunter over his career and he's he's done a lot of good things so yeah well that's kind of our recap i guess if you will from the last seven days it's been like i said a really nice stay here um i was fully intending on spending a lot of time camping out and spiking in but kind of came to the realization that a nice bed and a warm meal every night wasn't a bad <laughs> thing either and that's no. been a blessing to spend some time here with cyrus and beth and get to know them and and just have a nice time again whether success is you know measured by you know a six-point bowl or just the camaraderie and the adventure to me is both of those to me are measures of success so it's been it's been a good trip and i'm hopeful maybe we got one more shot in the morning to who knows you just never know what could turn up but um these elk here on the mesa are they're interesting creatures like literally two days ago and last night they were bugling their brains out and then you and i go out tonight and it was like the light switch shut off yeah there was
1: we got there at, what four thirty, and they were bugling pretty intensely for about 15 minutes and then just dead i mean you couldn't call them they wouldn't yeah. answer after there was five just o'clock nothing. it just and, shut off and that's the thing you know bordering the private and the way the wind was blowing tonight or bordering the public land and the way the wind was blowing i mean you know there's there's a very good probability that they got winded by hunters that were kind of up you know upstream from us and that's that's just part of the game but yeah maybe we can still maybe we can knock one in the morning
0: make something happen and if not you know that's again not not the reason why we're here i mean a a big part of why i like to you know do these types of trips is to just enjoy my time in the outdoors and really respect the animals and respect the you know the public lands that we get to hunt and multiple times you and I were walking, finding, you know, beer cans and plastic bottles. And it's just, it's sad to see that, that, you know, people, you know, basically leave their trash all over the lands. And that's frustrating.
1: And they, you know, that's, that's what causes, it's a, uh, it's a bullshit excuse in my opinion, but at the same time, you know, when people are out there, you know, leaving all their beer cans or all their plastic, they just trash a campsite. That's, the government doesn't need any more reason than they already have to shut things down, and that makes it so tough. So, yeah, I mean, I'm a huge advocate all summer long. Me and Beth will be out on the four-wheeler, and we'll just pick up trash. I mean, bags of it, and it just – it makes me irate, but at the same time, if I don't do it, then they're just going to say, well, these people have been trashing this land for so long. We're just going to shut it down. And- yep. Another reason, and you shouldn't have to argue it, but you, but, but at that point you don't have an argument, you know. So yeah, you gotta, you know, and that's something I always, I, you know, pick it up. If you see it down, pick it up because yeah. if people are throwing shit out, it's
0: just going to make your hunt worse down the road or maybe impossible. So yeah, oh, well, we often be good stewards and you know campsites. I mean, we yeah. saw that one down where those lakes are at. There was mountain yeah. house wrappers left out and all kinds of crap, which is again, it's yeah, sad it's, to see. It's but.
1: frustrating, especially when you. You know, when you appreciate the land and the people that don't are the ones that ruin it for the people that do. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's that's a that's a frustrating thing. But you know, just clean up when you see it, just clean it up. I yep. mean that's what we do and it's not that much more weight
0: in your pack and and it, it can make or break a hunting area for sure. Absolutely. So after second season, what tags do you have left? Um in your pocket or at least you and well, Bethany, you Beth, guys got some stuff lined I've got up.
1: that here in Colorado you get that bear tag through first to fourth rifle so I've got the bear tag and then Bethany has she's got a bull tag and a bear tag and then my old man for that's for third season which is I guess next weekend and mm-hmm. then and then uh, pops has a he's got a cow tag and uh, and then we both drew fourth season either sex so there's a good chance we'll get some down. It's got to snow by then. Yeah. Um, we're, you know, we're at about 8,200 on the, on the Campari Plateau. And so the weather can be fickle. We're, you know, maybe 15 miles from, well, probably more like 20, 25 from the main San Juan range of the mountains. And they, you know, they're up to 14 plus and they get hit first and we kind of get hit second. So I don't always love the weather, especially working outside, but when you want elk you want snow Mm -hmm. and uh so hopefully we get some and get get a couple critters down
0: yeah for sure you guys got a few tags to fill and like i say hopefully out of all those tags you guys can put an elk or two down and put some meat in the freezer and you know have a a good plentiful winter with with plenty of meat in the freezer which is really what it's about so yeah definitely well like i said it's been good it's I've, i've had a really good time um getting to know you a little more. And like I said, I've known your dad and i again, I've known you and met you in the past, but didn't, haven't really spent First this much time hunting season. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's been a lot of fun and, and, uh, Look forward to maybe, you know, doing it again or having you come down maybe to California and chasing some pigs or, you know, having some fun Shooting down there. Some which liberals or pigs. Yeah. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> There's <laughs> plenty of uh, Either pigs. one. Yeah. <laughs> we could probably get away with either one down there. But just don't tell them you're going to shoot them because Under if a you 10 do that, mag only. you might end up getting arrested versus where we were at and getting threatened. We probably weren't going to get anything done there. Well, but. I doubt any of them listen to this podcast, so that's yeah. fine. Yeah, it's all good. <laughs> But cool, man. Anyway, yeah, thanks again. Thanks for the hospitality. Um, And again, I look forward to more years of hunting Colorado and hopefully, you know, more successful times. And again, it's not always about, you know, harvesting inches, it's about the adventure. And that's really what this is about. So thanks again. Yeah, it's
1: been a great time. And hey, y'all, I was a country musician in Texas for a long time. So if you like music, check out Cyrus James. So, how can they find you on, on. Man, i don't, I don't know if I got you? a w we- I don't know if I got a website anymore or not, but <laughs> I kind of moved back to the mountains and forgot all that but uh we got a couple of records out on iTunes and Spotify and all that, and I'm on Instagram and all the you know all the regular social media outlets so if you did good country music and you like the Texas boys, check it out absolutely and Lucas is great having you here and uh man, hopefully we smoke something in the morning or we're gonna have to send you home with a with a tag in your freezer. That's okay. I've done that before, but
0: yeah. when in doubt either way it was a good it was a good trip so anyway thanks again Um, thanks Cyrus and and thanks for all the hospitality and thanks listeners for tuning in and we'll catch you guys for another adventure on the RNA Outdoors podcast hey everyone this is Lucas Paw host of the RNA Outdoors podcast Please check out Podbean and iTunes. If you have an iPhone or iPad, go to the podcast app on your device, search for RNA Outdoors, and hit the purple subscribe button. When doing this, it will automatically upload when new podcasts are loaded, and they will download into your queue. For Android users, you can access the podcast through Podbean, Stitcher, or use our website, www.RNAoutdoors.com forward slash podcast. In addition, under the RNA Outdoors podcast channel, please leave a review and a five-star rating. These reviews help boost our popularity and outreach. You can also follow us on our social media outlets, Twitter at RNA Outdoors, Facebook, RNA Outdoors, and Instagram, Rod and Arrow Outdoors. All links are in the show notes as well. If you like what you've heard, we hope you'll pass along our channel to your friends and colleagues keep up the good fight. We cannot sit by and watch the public lands devoted to wildlife protection wither away. There's simply too much at stake. Make your voice heard, speak up, and get involved with conservation efforts, and know that every little bit helps. As we say on the mountain, go farther, stay longer.